The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 46, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K I S T. Nailed it that time. Atta boy. <laughs> As always, joined by the best doggone co host in the game, Mr. Eight Year Streak Without a Bad Day, Mr. Two Day Streak Without Abandoning, his good friend Michael. He is Benjamin Solak. You can follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Man, every day is a good day to be alive, Mike. I'm glad to be on the podcast. Glad to have not abandoned you for two days in a row. If you continue to give me <laughs> intros like that, however, that streak will not last very long. So, Ben, we've got uh, the main topic for today is going to be previewing the Eagles defense and how they match up against the vaunted Redskins offense led by Colt McCoy. Before we get into all of that, let's jump into, because we don't have a regular uh, injury report like we would from a Wednesday. We're recording on Thursday morning, so we haven't gotten that injury report yet, other than the vague week-to-week, day-to-day Doug speak, which you have to kind of wade through. But Ben, one thing that we do know, and Jim Schwartz alluded to this in his press conference, I alluded to it on the last show, but on the first drive against the Giants last week, Linebacker Nigel Bradham broke his thumb in three places. More than two. More than two. That is correct. He actually got surgery on it. He now has a cast on that hand. I believe he's still planning to play. But And look, I haven't been the most complimentary of Bradham's play this year. But if it's no Jordan Hicks, no Nigel Bradham, the report is that it's Nate Gary who would take on Mike Linebacker responsibilities, in which case, theoretically, he would be making the defensive calls, and that is a frightening proposition considering how he played against the Giants. And 
I mean, at that point, you hope to get Avanti Maddox back, who is day-to-day right now, quote-unquote, and maybe you can go more big nickel, which would allow you to put Malcolm Jenkins more in the box in that type of role, in his linebacker role that he played a lot last year. And I would argue that he would be the one making the mic calls, because I guarantee you, and this was on film pre-snap against the Giants, that he knows the calls a lot better than Gary and can execute them a lot better. And if Gary has the same number of snaps as Kamugruje Hill again, I might lose my mind then. Yeah, I don't think that'll be good. My question is, what has Gary done at know. all this year? I don't know. To indicate, right? Like, I'd rather see Leroy Reynolds out there than Gary, because at least Leroy's played in the league for more years and has a better idea for what's going on. He's obviously more athletically limited. Um, but I feel like Reynolds will probably just give you more in terms of snap-to-snap consistency and, yeah, like being in the spot you expect him to be in. Yeah. When it was a three-way battle for Will – you know, with like Joe Walker, Nate Gary, and Camus back way back in training camp, and this was a thing. I would, I would, like, my bet was Gary. I said, I think, you know, Gary in year two is going to have taken a step forward. And then you saw in training camp, he simply just he doesn't look comfortable in short zones. Uh, obviously, he's got the safety background. When you played safety, Mike, you're way deep back there. You can you obviously have to react to things quicker because you have greater distance to cover. But it's not like things are happening in front of you very bang, 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 bang. When you're right. a linebacker and you're so much closer to the line of scrimmage playing these zone coverages, you have to be much more instinctive and kind of anticipate things a little bit better. Uh, and Gary, I think, really struggles with that. Something that you saw where he doesn't really know how to get to his particular spot drops when he's got a hook curl where he's got a curl flat depending on the route concept you obviously have to change your zones when we talk about these pattern matching ideas these are things that Gary seems to very much struggle with and then you put a 234 actually he's gotten bigger 238 pound dude who's an ex-safety and even probably 235 is generous let's put him at 235 up there with offensive linemen, he does not have an instinct to play physically whatsoever, and he's a liability in the running game. I just don't know what he's done to the point where you want to get him onto the field against somebody like Reynolds, who obviously is like more a special teamer, but at least has been in the league for more years and is probably just a more consistent, reliable, known quantity. Uh, that being said, just put Camus out there and solve the whole freaking problem. <laughs> Camus has played like one, and I've talked about this before, Camus played like one of the better linebackers on the team. And I think that he has earned those snaps. And even in recent weeks has been playing with an injured thumb. And I mean, he's been playing really, really well. So I I agree with everything. The thing about Camus and not wanting to put him to Mike that I can understand. Right. Is that Camus is by far the best Eagles linebacker at coming down over the edge and blitzing or setting against the run, just coming in line of scrimmage. And that's really nice. That's a good thing to have, especially if, let's say, like Jordan Reed and Vernon Davis are out there and the Redskins are going a lot of two tight end sets and you want to be able to get a guy over that. Well, Camus is a great guy to do that. He can't do that if he's he's playing Mike, right? And so you don't want him half the time to be – the mic backer calling signals, and then randomly you're pulling him down onto the line. You have somebody else doing it. Like that's a lot of discontinuity. So I can get that. So Gary can be the mic without being out there more than Camus. Right. In the well, I guess no. If Bradham and Hicks are both injured, then no, that can't happen. Man, okay. If Gary's <laughs> out there more than Camus, yeah, it's gonna suck. Um, I would like you. You should be willing to sacrifice the Camus on the edge thing, but I get why they find that so valuable. He's made great plays from that alignment that we've seen, and it adds another wrinkle another style of play a, a different piece that you can put on your defense that really nobody else in that linebacker room even Bradham and Hicks don't have you know it's interesting and as we talk about this what's going to force us to play those linebackers at a rate that we 
probably wouldn't want to, and that would be 12 and 13 personnel from the Washington Redskins. And I just pulled this mm-hmm. up while you were talking. I mean, they're a little over league average. They have Vernon Adams. They have Jordan Reed, but they only run 12 and 13 personnel as two and three t- tight end sets. 26% of the time. And I looked to see if that changed last week. You know, you you have a changing quarterback. Paul Richardson is out for the you year. You did all of this while I was talking? That's correct. I did. I'm very good at navigating Warren Sharp's website. <laughs> I'm so – that's the thing. I'm so – like, I love everything that, like, like, that Sharp's got. is fantastic, and I love doing, like, like DVOA. It just takes me so long to figure out, like, all right, how do I organize by ranking? Like, how do I do this and the other thing? I can never figure these things out. <laughs> so, yeah. They, I mean, very they impressed. Stu- they stuck with 26% on 12 and 13 personnel against the Cowboys as well. They're still running 11 personnel 70% of the time, which is surprising to me, again, mm-hmm. with Richardson out and the depth at wide receiver that they that they are lacking. You know why I think that they run 12 and 13 personnel not as much as they should? Because they're scared of getting Jordan Reed injured again? Well, yeah, know. there's that. Though, obviously, the <laughs> uh, the referees clearly don't care about that as much. That hit was unbelievable. Oh that wasn't called on Jordan Reed. That was shocking. <laughs> but no, it's that they've got too many slot receivers. They got they they got they're putting Trey Quinn out there, Mister Irrelevant. Obviously, you got Michael Floyd and Josh Doxson, but they love to run out of condensed splits and they love to do out of eleven, and they love to bring Quinn in jet motion. You saw this a lot against the Dow, uh, the Cowboys with Colt McCoy back there, and so you feel like you have to get these wide receivers out in the field, you know, when really you don't. You just have to put tight ends out there and cause problems. It's weird for Philadelphia though, because do you want? The Redskins to come out in 11 and potentially, you know, spread you out and threaten your defensive back depth. Or do you want them to come out in 12 and 13, condense the splits and threaten your linebacker depth? How do you want to die today? Like, what do you want to be the problem? I, When I'm thinking about it, watching McCoy, obviously, you know, he's a backup. I think to myself, man, like it makes sense for the Redskins to really try to run the football. And they were very first and 10 pass heavy with McCoy, which I did not expect. They were. I was very surprised. Yeah. Right, no, they were, and like a lot of play action RPO stuff, but they were very willing to leave the ball in his hands. He's a smart dude. Ben, for the first three quarters, and I looked at this because it didn't become a two score game until the fourth quarter. For the first three quarters, their run pass balance was 62% to 38%. You're the backup quarterback, and you're supposed to be a run heavy, established the run team. I was. That's aggressive. Bamboozled by the whole thing. And let's get into it because we're just diving headfirst into the main topic here, which is the Redskins offense against the Eagles defense. And of course, we have to talk about quarterbacks first. So usually what we do is we cite some rankings when we dive into these matchups. But here's the thing, you know, we talk about red zone offense, third down and all that stuff. I don't know if you've heard, Ben, uh, there's been a recent Mm -hmm. quarterback change for the Redskins with Alex Smith now out for the year and his future is kind of in question too with that spiral fracture where his bone punctured through his skin so that puts the aforementioned Colt McCoy as the starter and you know I broke this game down in depth with the Dallas Cowboys last week with Mark Schofield on the QB Sco show episode four if you haven't started listening to that series yet shame on you because we pack that baby with a ton of scheme stuff and there's some history references that you'll enjoy if you're a nerd like me but anyway Ben, the central theme of that show really was the fact that, and I wrote this up for BleedingGreenNation.com too, it was that Jay Gruden didn't really change his scheme or reel in his playbook from a depth of target perspective either, along with that run-pass balance. So Mm -hmm. he still ran his typical like tagging levels on the backside of everything, three-man daggers, four verts all over the place, and the variations that go along with it, sale concepts, etc., etc. There there was a ton of downfield stuff, but they tried to get going against Dallas, and some of it worked and some of it didn't because you're relying on an inconsistent quarterback to make those throws and make those reads. But with a backup quarterback – you know, putting up 23 points 
throwing two touchdowns, 268 yards against that Cowboys defense. Now, granted, he threw in three interceptions, but the Cowboys defense, I would say, is an average defense, but they're very good at limiting explosive plays, and they typically make you earn it. So 23 points against that defense on a short week with their best weapons being tight ends in the, in the passing game. There's been no Chris Thompson. There's been no Jamison Crowder. You know, I got to say, you're of the same mind that I was impressed by the aggressive mentality that Jay Gruden had yeah. and probably will continue to have against this beat-up Eagles secondary. And that said, their pass offense still ranks 28th in efficiency per football outsiders DVOA for the season, and that is not great. I was about like halfway through the second quarter of the offense against the Cowboys, and I was like, oh, so they're just doing with what Doug did with Nick Foles when Foles came in. Right. Right. It was very reminiscent in the sense that the offense stayed aggressive. It stayed pass heavy. There were a ton of option looks, however, like plays that could have been runs that were actually yeah, passes. And deals, yeah. most importantly, I think McCoy threw to his second or third read like twice in the entire game. Right. <laughs> like we, it was all three of his interceptions were just like, well, this is my first read. So here we go. And the thing about McCoy is like, you know, I was jotting down some just like, notes you know some scouting notes just based off the one game you know pocket presence good pre-snap recognition of blitzes i thought was great uh you know a mental clock inside of the pocket ability to get the ball out you know evaluating when to get to his check down like all that like very good like mental and tangible stuff good mobility he's obviously he's been a great mover since his time at texas and then he can be accurate but he just has a pop gun arm. He just doesn't have great arm strength. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he, he can he can put a little bit of zip on it, but just generally he ain't pushing the ball to the boundary. He ain't pushing the ball down the field. On that interception, that three man dagger, the one to I think it was to Mo Harris, he hung that mm-hmm. baby up there and that that, that sucker bobbled oh, yeah. in the air on him. No. And even even the first one on the little wheel route to Trey yeah. Quinn. He had Trey Quinn. He just couldn't get it to him. It's just yeah, you, you had to you had to send that puppy over a trailing corner and drop it in the bucket uh against the sideline. And you need to throw that thing with touch, but it needs to also have timing. It needs to have pace on it because it's a small window. Yeah. It's a tricky NFL style of throw. You need to have touch, but also with pace, and McCoy just put that thing right in Anthony Brown's lap. I mean yeah. it wasn't even close. <laughs> and so that's the thing, is like it what Philadelphia was able to do so successfully with Foles when they made their Super Bowl run with the backup quarterback, don't know if you remember that, uh, was that they were able to uncover his first read constantly and make it so that Foles did not have to read a full defense, make decisions, you know, uh, manipulate safeties, uh, evaluate zone coverages. It was kind of just point and shoot. It's kind of this like, you know, he's a point and shoot quarterback. We know a lot of times people ask, like we do the draft stuff and people ask about Kyler Murray, the Oklahoma quarterback. Yeah. And we say, well, the issue with Kyler is point and shoot is that he gets the ball. He, he does a ball fake. He rolls out and then he just chucks it to the first he's guy. Not a, he's not an anticipator. Right, exactly. And if and if his first read isn't open, Murray has the evasiveness to just continue running around back there until somebody's wide open, and then he right. throws it to that guy, yeah. right? It's, and McCoy's point and shoot in that way. You're just not going to have gigantic windows, obviously, when you're the Redskins playing an NFL style of defense. So very reminiscent, in my opinion, of what Philadelphia did successfully with Foles. So why was it not as successful for the Redskins? Well, number one, Cole McCoy's not as good as Nick Foles. Uh, McCoy's always been a backup. Foles has been a fringe starter. And number two, uh, Washington doesn't have the weapons that Philadelphia was able to have to win one-on-one matchups while Foles was in there. You know, right. Jordan Reed was once a Zach Ertz in this league, but that was about five years ago, right? Uh, you know, Josh Doxson, everybody hoped he was going to become an Alshon Jeffrey, but he clearly has not been in, in that way. And we should bring up Doxson because, and I didn't pull up the the tweet beforehand because I'm ill-prepared for the show. Okay, James Coe of I believe NFL.com who does fantasy work for them. Uh, he was the one who dropped this, more so from a fantasy perspective, but Co noted that Josh Dawson's target share of the offense drastically increased 
once Colt McCoy came out in the field. So we were talking about 13% target share and 19.6% air yard share with Smith as the quarterback. In one game with McCoy, uh, target share went up from 13 to 31. Air yard went up from 19 to 39. Hmm. So that's, let me think, a lot. That's a fair bit. And so it's clear that Doxon is probably their best one-on-one, 50-50, you know, man-beating contested catch style of wide receiver in the sense that you can just get the ball up to him and ask him to go get it because that's always been how he wins. Obviously, they use Trey Quinn as a little slot machine there as well. But a lot of it has to be one-on-one man-beaters. And you saw that a a ton of wheel routes and a a ton of high-low ideas, some very simple one-read stuff. Uh, for McCoy more so than they ever did with Smith which you can move the ball with that if you can win one-on-one matchups and hey if Philadelphia's corners aren't healthy yeah they're gonna win some one-on-one matchups you know that's what the Saints Drew Brees had such an incredible game because Brees just tested man coverage and said hey Chandon Sullivan make a play on this football and Chandon Sullivan was like what who me (laughs) the Redskins had the opportunity to move the ball through the air in that way it's just it's gonna be like the Foles offense for Philadelphia it's very very fragile it's very predicated on pulling off those one read ideas and if you can't you're kind of screwed and how can they help that because you talked to me about this uh, before the show about how you know with the running game what they can do to kind of disguise some things and maybe cause Mm -hmm. some communication issues for this linebacking core by integrating some different things some pre-snap shifts some some motions what did you see from this offense with their running game that could lead to success for them against this confused linebacking core if Bradham is unable to go it's very, very interesting. We talked about, you know, do you come out in 13 and expose the Eagles linebacker depth issues? Do you come out in 11, spread them out and expose the Eagles corner issues like pick your poison? Uh, the Redskins, in my, uh, from what I saw on tape, and I didn't check the numbers to see if this backs this up, but from what I saw on tape, it seemed to me like they're one of those teams that wrongfully spreads to pass and then goes condensed to run. Yeah. Which, which just also spread to run and just leave people outside of the box. That's the prevailing mindset. Instead of putting you know, eight blockers in to handle eight defenders, leave six blockers in to handle six defenders, and then there's just more space inherently because there's two, four less people that you have to deal with in the box. What you see from Washington as general rules are this. Uh, they're going to take, they're going to stack receivers and then motion the, the the back guy, the guy not in the line of scrimmage, in jet motion. That's going to be play action. That's not going to be a run. They right. want you to think it's going to be a run. It's not. It's usually play action. And then that little jet guy will just be a little flat route, a little flare out off to the opposite side, to the motion side, and whatever receiver's on that side is going to run deep, and, and they're going to bring a crosser from the opposite side, and it's like very just common idea. But if they bring in what we would call zip motion or a cross motion, uh, in the sense that, you know, a wide receiver kind of looks like he's doing jet motion, but he stops before he gets to the tackle, right? He doesn't cross the ball. He just goes like in like a tight end H-back situation or a cross motion. A guy who started as an H-back, right? A tight end off the line of scrimmage right. just goes and switches to the other side. Very frequently, those motions are going to key run and they will key play action, but they will frequently key run for Washington. The reason being, and this is something that Philadelphia also does, you introduce that late man to the box. And if the defense needs to shift their front if the defense linebackers need to adjust their gaps well if you motion and then snap they have very little time to do it and you can catch them out of position and so very often you'll see a motion into the formation either that zip motion or the across motion uh it will change the running strength you know it'll instead of there being three blockers or two blockers to one side now it's two blockers to the other side it'll change the running strength of the formation it'll be a quick snap right afterward and they love to get adrian peterson outside on those plays so bring a motion inside pull a corner in and then crack toss 
pin pull sweep yeah. little tackle lead right that style of stuff and you get peterson a guy who obviously is a truckload to handle in the open field even at his advanced age you get peterson moving outside you get good angles with that motion coming in when they spread to run it's a lot of inside zone stuff it's right. just a lot of like more typical zones. so they kind of have a, a in my opinion like a a bit of a two-faced running game in that regard uh and, and that's what you see in terms of what you're going to key on from pre-snap motion when you're anticipating the run from washington quick snapping motions and then quick snapping or shifting and then quick snapping is something that the Eagles have struggled with. And obviously they're going to with the way that, you know, they're, they're starting 11 is not the same from week to week. We saw it against the Saints. We saw the Giants do a ton of it against us. And I would imagine that the Redskins would try that as well, get us communicating and, and make things difficult for us. So the game plan may have to be simple again for Tim Schwartz. And Ben, you know, for this Redskins offensive line, uh, I had to do a this versus that. What I did is I looked at the beginning of the season compared to what it looks like now for that offensive line, or at mm-hmm. least the starting unit that they rolled out against the Cowboys. So there are three consistent positions for them right now. And I use the term consistent very loosely because this has not always been the case for them right now. But week one versus week 12, uh, Trent Williams to Trent Williams stays the same. He's been a banged up part of the season as well. Yeah. Left guard, Sean Laval. You get a downgrade to Jonathan Cooper. I really appreciated how hard you tried to pronounce that and act like you knew that that was the, what the pronunciation was. And I tried like, to I'm just going to say it. this real co- real confident and just keep talking and nothing's going to happen. I like to make it clear. I have no idea how to pronounce his last name either. I just know when you're BSing. I can smell it by this point. It's amazing. Yeah, no, you called me on it. So that whole center situation, Chase Royer, I guess, uh, to Chase Royer stays the same. Chase Royer. Matt Lefleur. Lefleur. And you get right guard. Every name that I can make French becomes French. Exactly, even if it's not even close to French. So Brandon Scherf downgrades significantly to Tony Bergstrom. And then Morgan Moses to Morgan Moses, that stays the same. So this is a team that wanted to run the ball and make just enough plays on offense. Well, depending on their defense to win games, those downgrades, Laval to Cooper, uh, Sheriff to Bergstrom, they are massive. They cannot be understated. And I don't even think Cooper is that awful. I mean, he's certainly not good, but the downgrade to Bergstrom, Bergstrom was getting flat out abused by the Cowboys defensive line. Mm -hmm. Now, what has helped them this season, in my opinion, is they have the best backup tackle in the league in Ty Niseki for when Williams or Moses gets hurt. So that's helped them achieve some kind of consistent play on the bookend. So even when a tackle goes down, you know, which they have at various points in the season, you don't just see a big time collapse until they both go down. And you have to play Garen Christian, the rookie out of Louisville, Bless. who just is not even close to ready yet, doesn't have the functional strength, doesn't have the technique, super raw prospect coming out. So, But Ben, this is an advantage, and Pro Football Focus agrees with their offensive line versus defensive line matchup numbers that this is an advantage for the Eagles, especially in the interior, when I think... Fletcher Cox against Tony Bergstrom, Timmy Jernigan. He should be able to pop out with some flash plays. And one last point Mm -hmm. before I let you have at it, Ben, but this matchup in the trenches, because of that instability along the offensive line for Washington, they're really struggling with stunts and games. And that's something that Michael Bennett does very, very, very well. And I think if you continue to use those with him, he's going to have a big day. And I like the idea of kicking Brandon Graham inside against the guards on long passing downs. Would not, It would be really nice to see a solid performance from him also backed up in the box score. Ben, what say you? How did you pronounce Sean's last name? Laval. That's correct. Yeah, boom. At a boy. Okay, yeah. No, according to Pro Football References Pronunciation Guide. Not a doubt in my mind. Not for a second. Yeah, never once. Not even once. <laughs> 
Bergstrom is the uh, what is he? He's the uh, 66, the right guard. Yeah, correct. Bad. Yeah, he, he's really bad. He's <laughs> not good. Um, he popped out right away, dude. I always well, that's because I always just like put my notes down with their numbers, and then I know most of the skill position players, but I don't look at the nameplates for the offensive linemen, which I feel bad about. Offensive linemen are players too, and I have great respect for offensive linemen. I love evaluating them. Shout out to all these single offensive linemen out there. I've just got all these just like sixty sixes just like circled on my notepad, <laughs> being like that wasn't good, that wasn't good, that wasn't good. Yeah, no, Bergstrom's rough. Uh, and 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 when we had. You know, a new uh, left guard in Isaac Samalo, and this was the Titans and the Colts game where they were struggling a lot with stunts and with games. And obviously, that was Steve Wisniewski was in there for a fair bit of that, and then it was the transition point. We talked a lot about how the communication on the offensive line is very distinct, and you need to know your calls, and you also need to be able to just adapt for when things don't go the way you anticipated them to go to. And that's where chemistry and playing together for a long time helps. This is obviously something the Washington offensive line doesn't have. Now, they don't play, they weren't playing Niseki in the. Uh, not in the Cowboys game, whoever they had before the Cowboys. Houston against the Texans. And so I don't know why, because like you said, Niseki is a fantastic backup offensive tackle. I don't think they know exactly what they want to do in terms of if they want to get Christian and Christian, John Christian, I think his last name is pronounced Christian, um, in there to to develop him or if they want to put Niseki, whatever it is. The reality is that, yeah, the weakness of this offense is absolutely going to be the interior offensive line. Uh, that's the point where they've been hit most by injuries and they had the worst depth. This reads to me like a game where we could see a 2017 style of Philadelphia defense in the sense that, yeah, secondary obviously isn't great, but this front four is just mowing through people. Right now, now McCoy's time to throw, which we constantly talk about this big, huge watershed 2.5 number, it's going to be less than 2.5. McCoy's a quick release. He's very willing to just go to his first read like we talked yeah. about, and they're going to put RPO games in for him, right? right. And we talked about uh, the, the inside zone with Adrian Peterson gives him the opportunity from shotgun to just read a, a matchup on the backside. When we go to those condensed splits and we have those big pin pull ideas and we have those those big, you know, kind of like wrap ideas where you got two pullers out in front, uh, you, that's a long mesh point the quarterback will have the ball in the belly of the running back for quite some time and so you can develop plays behind that as well and you saw them do that against Dallas you've seen them do that with Smith as quarterback uh, in the games that he's played as well Uh, you that will bite into the efficacy of your pass rush a little bit but yeah if you can get them into a third and five plus situation and they probably have to leave McCoy in the pocket there for a second Philadelphia's got a big advantage in the trenches I didn't see as many rollouts either with Smith or with McCoy as I would have expected with Smith and with McCoy. Uh, both are mobile quarterbacks. Both are effective moving on the run. I didn't see that as much as I would have liked to from yeah. Gruden, what he calls. I think that's a very heavy aspect of the offense you should use, especially when you have a very well-established outside running game and the outside yes. zone they hit as well. That would be something I would introduce, but there are very few offenses in the league where I would not introduce more rollouts. They're kind of my <laughs> thing. So I don't yeah. know. I, I will see if there's an uptick there. It would make sense given what you expect from the Philadelphia front four in the pass rush. But we'll see. It's not something that they've wanted to do. They like to have McCoy drop back. He's a very, like, five-step drop style of passer. So there you go. Play action should be up 50% across the league every year until it just stops working, in my opinion. So looking at these uh, matchups at receiver versus corner, Josh Doxson, Mo Harris, Trey Quinn. Then you're looking at the tight ends, Jordan Reed and Vernon Davis against what looks like it'll be Rasul Douglas, Shannon Sullivan, Cravon LeBlanc at cornerback. And then, of course, you know, the, the typical Jenkins takes a tight end, and then they figure out the right. other one as, as they kind of go along with the linebackers. We'll see what that's Do we know who like. we're anticipating potentially being back in this game? I think— well, As far we'll, as defensive backfield? 
Rasul Douglas was back. He, he dressed for the game and then came in when Shannon Sullivan went down last week. We're hoping to get Mills back, but I'm not sure if he's going to be back. What I've heard is the Eagles are expecting to get like one back. So I guess they're planning on getting like lucky with one. So it's either going to be like Avanti Maddox or Jalen Mills, from what I can tell. I forgot that Maddox was injured until we started talking about this. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so if if, so Maddox, if Maddox is back, and I've already made the case for Big Nickel already, if he is back, I don't know if you switch it up and play Avanti at Nickel with, with Big Nickel, and then let LeBlanc yeah. play outside over Sullivan because I was impressed with LeBlanc and you know LeBlanc may have gotten right. away with some tugs against Odell but I thought he played really well in that game listen listen <laughs> if you're gonna be not a very good corner which LeBlanc is not a great corner might as well talk and see if you can get away with him right. sometimes the, the chips fall your way he's definitely more confident than Sullivan he's playing more co- with more Le- confidence exactly LeBlanc over Sullivan is my same argument as Reynolds over Gary the guy's yeah. actually been on an NFL field for a considerable <laughs> period of time yeah he's just not going to be like so far out of his depth that he's just in a he's a feat he's nothing you're playing with 10 players yeah if Maddox is healthy yeah, you probably go Corey Graham deep, which yep. oh kill me for saying that out which, loud. Thirty yards deep, it's going to be the Greg Williams defense, right? Maddox in the slot. Well, yeah. when Corey Graham is your deep safety, you have to put him fifty yards deep for him to be able to get to a play and make a tackle. So that's exactly Bye. why. <laughs> Mike, let's have thirty seconds, okay? Yeah, let's do it. 30 seconds on the clock. I told him to draft a safety. I said, just draft a safety. Maddox is a corner, and he's ended up playing safety. If you just drafted a safety, we wouldn't have had to deal with this problem. Why did they just draft a safety? I don't know, man. And we were so in love with Justin Reed, the guy for who is with the Houston Texans now. Listen. And he's balling out. In my in my Monday mock for the Draft Network, I sent Deontay Thompson. Yes, I love that. Safety for the Bama, who probably is the best middle-of-the-field safety we've seen oh. since Malik Hooker, and yep. is not going to fall to 15 but he fell to 15 in the in the mock so i sent him to philadelphia people were furious with me have you watched a second of philadelphia eagle football yo if you are mad about deontay thompson the safety getting drafted by the eagles at pick 15 you are out of your mind listen listen, out of your mind eagles he's incredible eagles don't but we need a tackle that we're going to overdraft and he's going to be off when the the eagles don't when the eagles play with jenkins and and mcleod they're not playing with two safeties they're playing with one safety because (laughs) jenkins is a freaking linebacker we've discussed this for the past two seasons now he is he just lines up as a linebacker and he does linebacker things he does them very well and then he plays over a, 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 a little a tight end flexed out into the slot. He's a slot corner. And he does that very well. And then sometimes he plays safety just to like screw with everybody. With Jenkins, you just leave Jenkins at the line of scrimmage. You put Thompson and McLeod as your defensive backfield, and it's the greatest thing in the world. Those are the end of my 30 seconds. Eagles need a safety. Why don't they just freaking pick a safety? So you play Corey Graham as the, the deep middle, yep. and then Avante Maddox as the slot, and you put <laughs> LeBlanc outside. That's what I think makes the most sense. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I thought too. Okay. Ben. And you pray. Douglas or Mills is healthy. So, and look, Mills coming back would be, and I have not been a Mills fan at all, but sometimes you just need baseline fringe starter play from someone after what we've seen over the past few weeks. Uh, that would be refreshing. Just what it will do mentally to the team to oh, be yeah. like, oh, we have a starter on the outside now. Yeah. Like, maybe things are going to be okay. Mills isn't great, but he also, like, is where he's supposed to be 99% of the time. Mills has actually made plays on the football before. Yeah, he can come down and Unlike cover Unlike every current starting corner for the Philadelphia Eagles. Correct. There you go. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> so, uh, 
just taking an overall look at this. And because they're friends of the show and I'm a huge fan of the work and Elliot Christ is my dude, uh, I'm going to, because I always say no free ads, but I'm going to give them a free ad. I'm going to cite the Vegas line from The Quant Edge, www.thequantedge.com. Go check them out. Why do I say www? Everybody knows what it is now. Because in case people don't know how to use the internet. Yeah, well, I mean, you don't even have to put that in in the internet browser now. You don't have to put in www. Anyway, the line is six for the Eagles, six-point favorites for the Eagles. The over-under is 43.5. Quant Edge suggests with their betting tool that the Eagles cover. Their model shows that they are very confident with the Eagles covering. And they give a slight edge mm-hmm. to the over. So let's call it a 44-point game. And the Eagles win by 10, which is what the Quant Edge is saying. That puts us at 27 to 17 Eagles, which actually I think is the exact number that you said before. Ben, in this hypothetical scenario, 17 points for the Redskins offense over under what you got. Why are we doing this prediction before we do the defense show? We'll talk about the 27 points and the, and the, and the covering and all that on the next show. This is just for the oh, okay. Redskins offense, just the 17 points or under. You know how this works. You've been here before. Come on, Ben. What are you, Rusty? Okay, sorry. I got confused. I'm offended. We need Rusty. <laughs> uh, I'm going to take the over because okay. they're playing the Eagles secondary. Yeah. I probably would have taken the over on anything that was under like 21. I don't envision it in this becoming like a shootout or anything like that. I just, it would feel very, very odd to take the under on a team that will potentially start Cromwell LeBlanc and Chandon Sullivan. That yeah. just feels dirty. I don't care who the opposing quarterback is. I mean, they put 23 on the Cowboys. So it's not like, you know, they're going to have, yeah. I think they're going to have some the turnovers. The Cowboys with their vaulted defense, if you talk to anybody in national media, which has me sickened. Yeah, they're an average defense that doesn't give up explosive plays. Great for them. Um, I, I mean, By it's actually total, nice guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? By total DVOA, which is in part because the Eagles let the Giants play well. Uh, the Giants have now surpassed the Dallas Cowboys, which I don't love DVOA as a stat. You're much more into it than I am. But when it has the Giants above the Cowboys, I suddenly think DVOA is a great stat. I think James Betcher has done a really good job uh, calling that defense in New York with bad talent. If only, if only, Mike, somebody had told us that James Betcher was a great defense coordinator. If only there was a show, <laughs> the handsome young lad and the bald man and the handsome young lad. <laughs> Let's talk about this dynamic because we, we've gotten more written reviews in yeah. Apple Podcasts and iTunes and more five-star uh, ratings than I've been promising the listeners uh, because I pushed it so hard last week that I would read some of these reviews on air. So let, let's do that. Let's talk about this dynamic with me and you and let's see how the listeners see it. So This is, this is, a, this is a, a forced transition because I know what the end is and I resent it, but it's fine. So this is from Pit Eagle. Five stars. Uh, the headline is Best Eagles Pod. I don't disagree with that. Straight facts. Find the lie. You guys are my go-to radio for my ride home from work. I'll never forget during the Super Bowl run, BLG called our shot against the Patriots. That was the first time I thought, yeah, you know what? This is our revenge Super Bowl for when they cheated us out. I really appreciated that. I really yeah. appreciated just like being like, and I'm still pissed about 04. Those MFers. Like, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kissed is my boy. And his squirrely sidekick is not half bad either. Keep up the good work. I love it. Thank you, Pit Eagle. Squirrely. Squirrely sidekick. Squirrely. Squirrely. <laughs> Adjective. Relating to or resembling a squirrel. <laughs> or, <laughs> other definition, restless, nervous, or unpredictable, eccentric, or insane. Feels aggressive, Mike. Feels <laughs> uh, Squirrely. I think... 
I buy it more if, like, appearance-wise, I am a squirrel because I have brown hair and I'm small. Like, is that what we're going for here? I mean... I feel like my front teeth are a usual size. You can overanalyze that and you can form a complex over that. A squirrel complex? A squirrel complex, exactly. I'm gonna see a peanut butter sandwich today and be like, wait, am I supposed to like that or no? <laughs> okay, here's my question. My I instincts think I'm gonna put this one. Me. <laughs> I'm gonna put this one to the listeners. I'm curious. Yeah, Alex K. Win, mm. my favorite podcast. Five stars. Why? Question mark. Which I like that because he's like, this is my favorite podcast in the title, and then he opens with why. Like mm. you know, he like really let himself into it. Strong start. Even after a loss, nothing puts a smile on my face like a Ben Solak meltdown. LOL. So this is interesting. Yeah. When have I? M- I'm trying to think of my meltdowns. You know what? You know what's interesting to me, and we were talking about this before the show. The way people process who me and you are as people fundamentally and conceptually varies so widely from experience to experience it's so interesting because some some people are like the very traditional take which i feel is like oh like kissed is so like crass and crazy and like you know like out there and like he has all of his like you know awesome like like you know his his tirades and his biz explanations and it's awesome and then ben is just kind of this like you know like little like football nerd who just gets really excited about like 13 personnel and just (laughs) kind of like is more of like a alternate voice and then like the very next review will be like ben is so crazy and Ben goes on tirades and da, 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 which yes. isn't like wrong like I don't disagree it's just very interesting that people it's not like there's not like this is the dynamic of the show and it's it, it's a universal opinion it's very like everybody yeah. has like different experiences someone which called me like, like wow calm and cool-headed that was the most insane review I've ever read it was like thank goodness kissed is so calm on the podcast and I was like what did it, what happened to which show are you listening to do you think it has something to do with maybe if they follow us on Twitter or not because I think you've referred to my Twitter as like you got to get through a bunch of crap but there's like a ton of really good nuggets in there but most of the time no, it's, it's like- great football analysis <laughs> and then it's like something totally unintelligible and you're like wait what <laughs> you see someone uh, kiss kisses mom left a review yeah no this I like the best in the biz five stars from kissed mom so shout out miss kissed kiss and soul like show is the best some of the most in-depth analysis of film i've ever heard in my life these dudes know their stuff and their dynamic is charming and innovative i feel like that's great i'm happy Ch- charming and innovative that makes you feel good awesome five stars by steeg 209 loved kiss and soul act uh, with locked on and i'm so happy they got involved with bgn now they also give a shout out to blg they say they love the gold breakdowns and all the guests Kiss brings on as well. There's a lot of Kiss. There's a lot of Kiss praise in this one, and I'm and I'm not hating it. I'm really not hating it. My favorite pod joins my favorite Eagles website. What could be better? BLG does a may he forever rain. BLG does a fantastic job with Bleeding Green Nation. By the way, couldn't do any of this without him. So may he forever, in fact, rain for ten thousand years. He deserves all of the love on these reviews. Uh, we also got another one. Ram Surgeon, amazing in-depth analysis, five stars. Amazing in-depth analysis. I think he's saying the most amazing in-depth analysis yeah, I've heard I've on heard. any podcast ever by the best Eagles podcast around with Michael Kist and Benjamin Solak. Long live BLG. Keep giving the hey, love to Mike, BLG. Two fellas. out of two listeners found that review helpful in case you're wondering. Let's let's hit this one really quick. From Smoothie Love. Go Ooh. Eagles. Five-star review. Is anything silkier than listening to Michael Kist's voice? And I'm glad you opened with this because no. And it's awful to hear your voice <laughs> next to his voice all the freaking time. It makes you – like I never once been one of those people who like, oh, I hate hearing my voice on like voicemails. Like I hate like hearing my recorded oh, right. voice. It sucks. I was like, no, my voice is fine. 
And then I started doing a podcast with you, and I was like, I'm going to kill my – I'm going to take my voice box out. This is the worst. Um, <laughs> I, I smoothie in love. fact, love my voice on voicemails. I leave myself voicemails just to cheer myself okay, up. Okay, screw you. Listen to myself. Um, <laughs> uh, but Smoothie Love does ask, uh, one note, I do get lost sometimes in the conversation when they talk about schemes and routes, and then uh, they, they pose a specific question, which is – cover three cloud question mark so i don't remember when what podcast we mentioned this but there are basically two different forms of cover three there's cover three sky which is the more traditional cover three you think of and cover three cloud on uh, sky if you just think about like a deep safety right in the middle of the field and then the two outside corners who are like eight yards off the ball if it's the eagles defense are like 12 yards off the ball those three deep players are all pretty much going to go straight back into deep third zones each can take a deep third of the field that's cover three sky and it's called Sky because that one safety, that S, Sky for the safety. Cloud indicates, starting with a C, that there's one corner who's involved. So instead, there are two safeties. And so think about like a two deep pre-snap alignment, two safeties. Let's say both of those sna- safeties drop back to their right, all right? And they each take a deep third, one the far right, one the middle. And then the corner to that empty side, he now takes deep third. What that does, that lets the other corner stay up and play the flat. And you can trap routes because teams might expect that corner to drop, but instead he comes forward and the opposite corner, the other side of the field, is dropping. So it's like an asymmetrical coverage that can screw with some uh, some quarterbacks. Philadelphia runs it a, a, a bit, not too often, uh, and you might see it against Colt McCoy as well. That is cover three cloud. And what you can do a lot of times if you're confused about some of these concepts, if we especially go in on them, for instance, like with Cover 3 Cloud, you can usually Google like Bleeding Green Cover 3 Cloud. Uh, In this case, I have a picture up of Cover 3 Cloud in my Saints Red Zone piece. So you would just Google Bleeding Green Saints Red Zone Kissed and you would be able to find that article. Also for Cover 3, all of the variations therein or most of them anyway uh, there's a great series on Bleacher Report that I refer to all the time. It's by Matt, uh, by Matt Bowen, who is on NFL Matchup, which is a great show. But if you Google NFL 101 and Cover 3, you get a whole article with yeah. all those different concepts. And that's for a lot of different things, too, not just for Cover 3, but like basic route combinations and, and things of that nature. So if there is a term on this show that we use and our description of it on the show is lacking and, and not really clear enough, Google Bleeding Green, put in that term, Google NFL 101, put in that term as well, and I can guarantee you'll find a visual representation of it, and that'll kind of help you follow along with the show as well. Because I know we kind of get in-depth, and it's hard to always describe what these things are doing through if they're an audio platform. So, But we do appreciate you, and uh, if there's any other questions that you have for us, obviously on Twitter, uh, me and Ben absolutely love interacting with you guys on Twitter, and we try to answer as many questions as we can and make sure that we're interacting. And we make you answer questions as well, but that's to find out later. Yes, exactly. That's part of the rules. That's part of the law there's nothing i can do about it and uh, did you like my new format with that where i'm where i'm telling people where to click yes (laughs) yes no i appreciated that because you're just skewing the result and so i can claim that there's a bias if the results don't go my way but no mike's very right if you ever have any questions just hit us up could not be more glad to make it easier and more enjoyable for you to listen to the podcast that's really i have a i have a vested interest in you knowing what we're talking about so please uh yeah i'm on twitter at benjamin solak that's s-o-l-a-k he's on twitter at michael kiss nfl that's k-i-s-t this has been the kissed and solak show uh those five star ratings and reviews man it is something else to read through those and understand that you guys enjoyed the show enough uh, that you wanted to go ahead and, and, and write enough about how much you like the show that i've got to click the read more button 
just to read everything you guys had to say. That, I mean, that puts a smile on my face that doesn't go away for a while. So we thank you so much. And if you want to leave another rating, if you want to leave a review, please go ahead and drop those uh, always on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. And that helps us garner more listeners, uh, you know, and it helps the SB Nation podcast grow as a whole. And that's great for everybody, a rising tide lifts all boats. Uh, Tomorrow is the Washington Redskins defense against the Philadelphia Eagles offense. And of course, you'll get our final spread predictions as we transition into the Monday night game. Then there will also be the Gowin and Stolness show, classic BGN show, and they will be previewing the entire game from a week perspective, looking at a huge NFC East matchup for the Philadelphia Eagles. We appreciate you swinging by. We will talk to you tomorrow. We all we got, we all we need. Fly Eagles fly. Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly, the deputy managing editor of BroadStreetHockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB Nation. And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer for TheAthletic.com. And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team of Flyers.